0: Thank you, Kyle, and thank you guys for hanging in there for that video. I know it was long and and so hard to hear. Um, I am so excited about this partnership with Tirza and our Christmas offering this year. Um, And I want to point you to a table in the gathering place after the service. Be sure and stop by. Um, So you heard Dr. Lavagna and her husband talk about medical needs they're meeting, um, then they move to a rented space. They've now outgrown that because word is spreading. Women uh, are telling other women, hey, you can get help here. And so the women are coming in droves and finding community. And then Tiersa wants to help these doctors um, teach these women skills so they can have sustainable income, so they can break the cycle, um, you heard her talk about that, of just generational poverty. And so what you'll find outside in the gathering place is an example from around the world of jewelry and textiles that Tiersa sends people um, in to help local leaders like Dr. Lavagna um, and train these women how to create these things and create their own businesses and then um, just change their lives, the lives of their children, the generations to come. Um, So be sure and stop by the table outside. There's some really cool stuff. It was way too fun to set all that up. I tried on all the jewelry and felt all the bags and it's really cool stuff. There's QR codes you can scan to find out further information. But I do hope you will check that out. Uh, And join us in the coming weeks as we talk about the other projects we're going to partner with. Phew, that was a lot. We're going to turn our attention to the series and the Minor Prophets that we're going to continue this morning. Last week, Thomas wrapped up our our three weeks in Hosea. And if you missed those, oh my goodness, there was so much good stuff there. I encourage you to go back and listen to those sermons. Um, The book of Hosea is just packed full of... Good stuff. Today we begin three weeks in Micah. So I feel like we should start with a proper introduction to Micah, though we know very little about him. He was from a small village in southern Judah. Micah prophesied that the birthplace of the Messiah was going to be Bethlehem. I think this is pretty cool. It is likely that Micah and Isaiah knew each other, they were both probably living in Jerusalem at the same time and were aware of each other's prophetic ministries. Micah's writings disclose that he identified with the poor and oppressed. He showed great concern for the average, ordinary citizen. He seemed certain in his calling by Yahweh to prophesy, and he directed much of his prophecies towards leaders, rulers, merchants, and other prophets. He had a lot of passionate anger towards those in power. Power is definitely a theme in these first few chapters of Micah that we're gonna look at today. So I want us to think about power. What is power? The dictionary says it's the capacity or ability to direct or influence the behavior of others or the course of events. What are the first things that come to mind when you think about power? International affairs and government come to my mind. We are a pretty powerful nation. I think of like world leaders and presidents. People like that are kind of the epitome of power to me. How much power do you have? And how does your power shape your personal relationships? You may think, well, I don't really have any power. Let me ask you this. Do you have a bank account? Do you have a vehicle? Do you have employees? Are you in charge of anything at work? Who sits in the front seat of your vehicle on the way home? Who drives? Who chooses where you go to lunch? Or what groceries you purchase at the grocery store? That's me in my house, and I feel pretty powerful when I'm at the grocery store, I'll be honest. I'm like, yes, no, no, yes. (laughs) Who gets the TV remote? Who makes the rules in the house? We all have power. Some have more than others, but everyone has some. Where does power come from? Us church-going people would say it comes from God that all power ultimately comes from him. I do believe that. He created all things and he owns the rights to everything he created. He is the only one with inherent power. We, on the other hand, we're dependent beings. We require things to be given to us in order for us to output them. Our power is derived. We can't generate our own power. We have to get it from somewhere. We collect power. We allocate it. In order for us to exercise any power, someone has to give it to us, or we have to take it from someone. That wasn't always the case. Our fall in the Garden of Eden was our epic fail at an attempted power grab, and we've kind of just been grabbing for it ever since. Before the fall, God had given his power to us. We were stewards of God's creation and he gave us his power to bring all that he created to its fulfillment. But we wanted some power to build our own kingdom and we made some bad choices and now everything is corrupted by sin and we have begun to handle power very poorly. As a result, power has become very complicated and it's incredibly easy to misuse. It seems the more power a human has, the greater their potential to hurt others. Micah seems to be keenly aware of all of this power dynamic. The people Micah is prophesying to have suffered greatly at the hands of those with power. This is a moment in history that needs to be explained in order to understand the context of Micah's passion. Israel was undergoing an enormous amount of internal pressure because of the powerful nation of Assyria's ever-expanding control over them. Jonah, Amos, Hosea have all prophesied, and during that time, Assyria starts to become really powerful, and Judah and Israel have become vassals of Assyria, which means they can hold their own land, but there are these really high state conditions of severe allegiance to Assyria that must be upheld. And Assyria began to sense that Israel's allegiance was not robust enough, so Assyria attacked and destroyed Samaria, the capital of the Northern Kingdom of Israel. 30,000 Israelites were taken into slavery and the rest were killed. After wiping out Israel, Assyria turned its attention south and invaded the southern kingdom of Judah. Many cities were completely destroyed before Assyria laid siege to their capital, the city of Jerusalem. They surrounded the city, and all of the people were inside. And the siege lasted for three years. And Micah was likely inside Jerusalem during that siege. Unsuccessful, Assyria finally leaves, but not without taking 200,000 slaves from Judah. So can you imagine how afraid these people were? Hundreds of thousands of people killed or taken into slavery. This was not only a physically and emotionally hard time. This was also an incredibly spiritually disorienting time for these people. They were confused and desperate. They were traumatized by all of this because they thought their God would protect them. These people have suffered at the hands of those in power and they are full of fear. And that is the backdrop of everything that Micah's about to say. When horrible things happen to people, they're in a state of searching for answers. And often not in like an open-hearted, soul-searching kind of way. Like when we are really shaken, we usually go grabbing at things, desperate to make sense of it or find safety or explanation. That's how these people felt. And Micah is standing right in the middle of all that. And this is Micah's explanation for the people given to him by God. Here he goes. All this is because of Jacob's transgression because of the sins of the people of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? Samaria and Jerusalem are the capital cities. They are the seats of power. They represent their nation and all the people in them. And while currently they are all suffering at the hands of someone else's authority. These leaders in Judah and Israel, they have enjoyed sitting in their seats of power for some time prior to this. And they've let that power corrupt them. Their own people suffered under their authority. And Micah says, now you will suffer the same fate. So this is a direct calling out of the people in charge. The people who have been in power because they've abused it and God is not a fan of those who abuse power. In chapter two, we see a sign that God has taken a posture of disowning these leaders. Where God normally calls them his people or my people, in Micah 2.3, God says, I am planning disaster against this people. God is distancing himself from their actions. Micah will continue by pointing out the sinful actions of two specific groups of Israel's most powerful, the civil leaders and the religious leaders. Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice? Another version of the Bible says, should you not know justice? You who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin, and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Leadership without fairness and equity is disastrous. And Micah equates that kind of bad leadership to cannibalism. His extreme language is equal to the deep depravity of these inhumane rulers who should have been guardians of justice, guarantors of human rights, protectors of society. This is gross misuse of power. And these leaders, they claimed to be close to God. And I think that's exactly what made their abuse of power so extreme. We all have some power and we all have the capacity to misuse it. But adding the ingredient of some kind of church leadership or spiritual influence or some kind of claim to being connected to God in some way that others aren't. Wow. The potential to abuse and misuse is seriously intensified when you add that ingredient to the point of ripping skin off of people, breaking their bones, chopping them up and eating their flesh. Can the sort of person who could be a cannibal also be the sort of person who prays? That's what God is saying has happened here. This is a warning for us, for you and me. Most of us here, we have some sense of security with our knowledge of the Bible, with our familiarity around church or Christian beliefs. I think that sense of security makes us susceptible in a way. I think that sense of security, um, it makes us susceptible. I know these leaders are, are an extreme example of that, but their misuse of power it had to start somewhere. and We are wise to acknowledge that. Micah's message is challenging to any human who has some power and is comfortable and secure in their standing with God. That sense of security in God can so easily become a false sense of security when we use it for our own gain. And that kind of misuse of power can be especially damaging to others. Can I just say that God sees betrayal like that, and he cares deeply about your woundedness if you have been harmed by someone in power? I know a lot of us here have been wounded by bad leadership, specifically in churches. Pulpit Rock draws people like that. I'm a person who has experienced that. Pulpit Rock Church or any Pulpit Rock people can't heal you. But God can, and he seems to use this place for that. But we as church leaders here do not claim to have some kind of power that you do not have. We all have access to the true source of life-changing power, and no one has to go through any other human to access that, it's through Jesus. We are not here to have any authority Or power over you we're here to direct you to his power and to help you develop that understanding there's something about abuse of power being connected to God that can really hurt people in traumatic ways that's why Micah was so quick to call it out now Micah knew God and was close to him in his word Micah acknowledged his own power So what made him any different than these religious leaders that he's confronting? Micah said, but as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might. The power Micah has is not by his own effort, but given to him by the spirit. This is not power that he has generated himself. At the center of Micah's power stands, according to his own statement here, the spirit of the Lord and justice. His full authority, his power and his sense of self-assurance in taking a stand against bad leadership is derived from nothing else than the fact that he leaves no room within himself for anything except the spirit of the Lord and that sense of justice which completely fill him. Power that is gained by our own effort is not God-given power, and that's what makes that kind of power toxic. Power gained by our own effort will give us a false sense of security because its foundation is not on God, it's on us. We've gained something we think we've earned. We've worked for it. Power that is gained by our own effort is power we are going to naturally want to protect. We'll naturally be greedy or possessive about it. And all of that strays from the heart and the character of God. And when we stray in that way, while our effort is connected to God or God's work in some way, things can get very cloudy very quickly because we're working for God. It can become hard for us to see or admit when that noble effort slants towards dysfunction. What a mess. This is the kind of power that Micah is confronting in these leaders. They lead my people astray. They proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. If their power is not being threatened, they proclaim peace. Even if everyone around them is starving, their privilege had deceived them into thinking things were not that bad, but fail to offer them food. Disagree with them or overlook them or push back on something they say is so, they wage war. They build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for a price. And her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. They're using people and claiming they're doing it for God. They're prioritizing their comfort. They're protecting their own sense of confidence and security. And Micah is laying this disaster at their feet. The great thing about the prophet Micah is that he was actually listened to Hosea was ignored, and so was Amos. They threw Jeremiah in jail. In contrast, King Hezekiah and the leadership of Judah listened to the prophet Micah. And Micah has more to say that Jonathan will get into over the next two weeks before we will see that part of the story unfold. But in light of the introduction to Micah this morning, there's some observations I think are worth us talking about. First, I want us to define a leader. Here's my stab at it. Someone entrusted with authority over someone else? Someone with some power? Isn't that all of us? I know some have more power than others. Some have much more power than others. The more power we have, the more culpable we are for the ways our power affects the people around us. But we all have some power. So I don't think any of us can dodge this message from Micah. Micah's message is relevant to every Christ follower. It's relevant to every generation of Christ followers. Second, so we all have power, what do we do with it? I think we need to develop the self-awareness to recognize when we are trying to protect what power we do have. That's a sign that the power in question is taking priority in our hearts and our minds And I would be willing to bet there are some humans in line behind that power that are suffering for the high priority we've given that power in our lives. Power that we want to protect probably has more to do with building our own kingdom than it has to do with building God's kingdom. Be aware of and suspicious of your own power. If we are feeling selfish or protective about power that we have, it's probably because we had to work to get it. We had to take it from somewhere else. It was hard to get. We'd rather not be without it. There's something very dangerous in thinking, I deserve this. I worked for this. Power can change us without us even realizing it. Understand that our very best motives in this are still broken. Third, in light of Micah's message, I wanna invite us to see how important it is that we be able to recognize bad leadership or abuses of power. Misuse of power has always been a thing for us humans. We should be able to recognize it, and we shouldn't be slow to call it what it is. Good leadership takes character, deep humility, brokenness, a willingness to be questioned, a willingness to be wrong. Good leadership and healthy uses of power don't leave anyone out. In fact, healthy uses of power tip the scales to benefit the marginalized, the powerless. Good leadership gives power away, never hoards it or protects it. Notice when someone in power won't let anyone speak the hard truths to them. Be aware if someone in power is causing harm to other humans. Recognize when religious leaders prioritize ideals over other image bearers. These are red flags. In closing, power is complicated, and it corrupts good things. We, as the church we do not need to be about power. That's not the model Jesus gave us. That's not the way churches ever ran in the beginning. I don't know how we got from there to where we find ourselves today. Jesus never used power over people. In fact, the only power he ever addressed in regards to his people was the authority he gave his disciples, and that was only ever authority over demons, unclean spirits, illness, and death. Jesus said his followers had power over non-human enemies of the gospel, never power over human beings. Even in the case of Jesus giving Peter the keys to loose or bind, the authority has to do with the proclamation of forgiveness of sins not with teaching, preaching, or power over others. Another moment where Jesus is talking about the power and authority that he gives to his followers, he actually forbids the disciples to rule like the earthly examples of authority around them. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Church, we do not need to fight for power, any kind of power over another human being. We do not need to try to link arms with those in political power to somehow secure our place as Christians in society. This is a false security and a move that Jesus never made to further his kingdom. The economic, political, religious, and moral situation in America is not unlike Judah's. And God didn't move Micah to make things right by asking him to take control with those in power. God moved Micah to speak truth, to help shape perspective, to influence others to follow after God's character. Power ultimately comes from God and Jesus is the only perfect example for us and how to manage power. Jesus had power. He was with God at the very beginning, the creation of all things which were created through him. Jesus demonstrated power on earth in miracles over nature, illness, evil, and death. Jesus could clearly do whatever he wanted, but power didn't corrupt him. He resisted the devil's temptations to abuse his power, and he used his power for good. He served He never took anything away from anyone else. He laid his power down. The one with the most power completely abandoned it. So how do we manage the power that we have? Let me ask you a challenging question. Are we willing to let our lives be fundamentally reordered by the example of Jesus? And how he managed power. Here's the example that Jesus gave us. This is from John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them.